Podcast, your ultimate companion podcast to the world and fandom of Avatar. I'm Kayla. And I'm Andre. And today we continue our Legend of Korra recap with this week's episodes 103, The Revelation, and 104, Voice in the Night. So in this episode, you can expect obviously full spoilers for The Legend of Korra, as well as spoilers for Avatar The Last Airbender. There might be some potential spoilers for other Avatar media, but we'll give you a warning ahead of time if we get into anything that's too spoiler territory. Um, now, before we get into this week's episode, uh, how's your week been so far? It's been going really well. Um, a, a couple of days ago, I spent $200 on plants. Um, <laughs> so life is good. Listen, it, went to, it wasn't just the plants. It was also the pots. You're probably calling a plant queer. Yes, probably. <laughs> Listen, I, I originally went just to get Chris some plants. Right, because he loves plants. He mm-hmm. wanted to get more. He wanted to get more for the new apartment. I was like, "Cool, we'll take you to this place." That's how it starts. Yeah, and we went. We went to this <laughs> amazing place called a uh, Plant House in Virginia Beach, and it's just like amazing. Um, and of course they they have plants, but they also have pots. And I think the pots are what was getting to me because they were just they were just really really cool. I don't know why. I just really liked them. Um, and then. Yeah. And then he found his plans, and then I started looking at plans, and then my sister also started looking at plans, and uh, I blinked, and I spent two hundred dollars. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of blacked out, and here we are. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm becoming a I'm becoming a plant dad. But that was the highlight of my I love week. It. See, plants are becoming the new pets because we can't afford kids. <laughs> I can yeah, I can afford a, a plant, but. Yeah. <laughs> How's your week been going, Kayla? Oh my god, my week's been pretty good. You know, pretty busy. Like, still, I only have a few more weeks left of class, and I'm moving next week. So, you know, lots going on in this, you know, neck of the woods. Um, very excited to move. Um, ask me the same question again. You know, yeah, when we record it later, you know, next week. But <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I did just spent like almost 30 minutes on the phone with Xfinity trying to figure out the transfer from one Xfinity provider to the next. It was way more complicated than it needed oh, for to the be. for the Internet. Yeah, Internet. Well, I get cable with my next yeah. one, too. I'm like, great. I can't wait to never use it. Um, <laughs> Do you have to get cable? It's it's a bulk package. So uh, it's a bundle, just, huh? Yeah, yeah. But at least, I mean, at least I get HBO Max included with it. So I don't really know what that means for someone who already has HBO Max. Like, does that mean I don't like... See, but that, yeah, that's the confusing thing. Because we, we yeah. also had something similar. We got Verizon for our apartment. And they were like, it, you get six free months of Disney Plus. And I'm like, but I, what happens if we already have it? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, does that mean we just I guess we just never Disney Plus for six months? Or we just I, uh... can't take advantage of it? I don't know. It is shit's confusing. I don't know. I, I have but, a question. I have a question for you, if you're your if question? you're if you're comfortable enough to to answer. Yeah, go for it. How much is your uh your internet gonna be? Like a month. Uh, it's in a, like a big ass package that is included with like so it's like my internet and like mm-hmm. also I think like sewage and other fees. So mm-hmm. it's like internet plus other things all paid for in one package. So it's not just my internet that I'm paying for. Gotcha. Um, it's all the stuff bundled together, and that's about one hundred eighty five dollars with other stuff. So internet's probably like maybe fifty something a month, maybe more, maybe a little bit more than that, give or take. You got the internet, um, the cable, and like some other shit that's like in the package of like you know, uh, like, like other like fees that are involved with just living in an apartment. That's basically my thing going on there. So gotcha. yeah, Do you know your internet I, speed. That is also a good question. <laughs> 
I don't mean to get hung up on this. I just like asking people this because we spent a long we yeah. spent a long time shopping for internet, and I just I'm just curious I to just, see what what everyone's. I got. just get it with my apartment, so you know, like it's just included with the rest of my fees for the apartment because I pay for my internet through the complex. So it's just okay. a little little convoluted but if i have issues with it they're going to hear from me because i'm a hybrid worker when i start my new job next month so well listen i (laughs) i I was gonna let you know uh we got the lowest uh speed for verizon which i think is like 200 kbps or whatever and Uh i was initially concerned because we're we're three people two of us work from home i zoom all the time and of course, we're streaming shit all the time, and we haven't had an mm. issue with the internet once. And so i I just want to I just want to let y'all know if anyone else is moving or looking for better internet, we're paying like thirty dollars a month for it, and it's like perfectly perfectly fine. Because they try to they try to be like, oh, you need the 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 megabit like whatever like the megabit like hardwire thing. Sell you more. And the, and we were like, yeah, we're gonna start with the lowest and see how that works because we can change it at any point we want. Exactly, but, but yeah, just just know it's it's very much like going to a car dealership. They're gonna try to upcharge you for shit you don't need. I mean, you're gonna yeah. have super fast internet, but you're also just not you're not gonna need it. So yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I think I'll be okay internet wise. Um, and then you know we have the moving crew happening next week. It's my dad, my girlfriend, and my stepmom all helping me. Two of the three of us have pickup trucks, so I am good. We even have a trailer if needed. Good for you. Like. We have we have a whole moving crew with me, which is fantastic because my God, do I have a lot of crap. <laughs> you halls are expensive. Yeah, I'm an expensive bitch, I know. <laughs> Did you say you're expensive? I'm expensive. Yes, that's what you said. No, I, I said you halls are expensive. And also that too. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I am expensive too. It's just that kind of day. You know, I'm just like... I just got back from a work trip. I was traveling all over the eastern panhandle of West Virginia. I was really close to Virginia, actually. Like, I think maybe like two or three hours from Harrisonburg. So not too far from Virginia. But like, um, I was just all over the place. And I think my brain has been, half of it's been left in Franklin, West Virginia. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a lot. So much going on. But it's, it's good. though. Lots of good things are happening. It's just I need to get through a lot of stuff to get there. <laughs> yeah yeah all righty well we don't have any news this week so i think we could just get straight into the the discussion Let's do Kayla. it Let's i think i think we more than made up for the avid lack of avatar news with personal stuff <laughs> uh all righty well the first recap of this episode is 103 the revelation uh first of all i love that in legend of Core they have the different like the radio announcer recapping the previous episodes i mm-hmm. just i don't know why i just like that format uh i think i think i enjoy a little bit more than like you know the whole previously on it's a unique take on it so mm-hmm. much appreciated there um, but yeah, so we open up. The fire ferrets have now made it into the tournament and they have to cough up 30,000 yuans to compete. I just, I love the part where, like, you know, Bertaka's just taking the winnings from the last match. It's like, okay, here's a, here's your winnings. Oh, wait, here's how much you have for rent. Here's much, so much for groceries, like for your fees, for the new equipment. And then there's nothing left. And I'm like, wow, that's what paying your bills looks like as an adult. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nothing too close nothing to, home, to see buddy. here. Mm. Nothing to see here. Um, I don't know if he, is this an actual sports thing. Do people have to pay to compete and shit like that? 
Um, there. I mean, for swimming, there was like small. There would be like smaller fees to compete for like okay. non-college meets. So, like, if I was competing in like, um, you know, an event that's not officially like a college championship or a college dual meet, like there, I mean, I didn't have to pay for it because like the club took care of it. I don't really know, but yes, there's like small fees at least in swimming. I don't know about other sports. That's just my personal experience. Yeah. Do they have to like? pay to play in like the Super Bowl or something? I don't know. It's not like I can pull from my wide pool of connections to the NFL or anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't find the answer to quick Google. So if anyone knows, just let us know. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh my God. So after Bolin tries to go do approach things his way of using, uh, you know, his pal Pabu to perform tricks for money on the streets, does not work as well. Uh, and an old connection to Bolin and Mako's past of the triple threats gives him an offer to help him pay off the fee, and then Bolin disappears with him. Um, Mako, meanwhile, has gone his own way with things and has decided to get a job at a electric, you know, power factory thing. And he was he's using his lightning bending. I remember where we had some discussion about like people being pissed off about that for some reason, but whatever. So, uh, anyway, Mako does his th- things his way. He arrives back at the apartment to, with Bowen's favorite dumplings to find that Bowen is not there. So he goes to try to find him at Air Temple Island. And this just the moment where like, the, the girls are just like, the little girls are just like, wait, is that that fire vendor guy that drives you crazy? Does he drive yeah. crazy in a good, bad way or in a way that you like him? And then just yeet the children. She just, <laughs> I, I love, love that. That just made me, that made me <laughs> laugh. Just, uh, I think the, the humor in Legend of Korra is quite underrated, but we'll get more into that later. It is quite underrated. I Absolutely. Agree. So Korra and Mako then decide to go searching for Bolin together with Naga as their tracker. And uh, after getting this kid, this like artful dodger, but more shady <laughs> character to cough up information by giving him money, uh, just made me laugh because he was, you know, oh, my memory is a bit foggy. Does that thing yeah. like, like he brushes his thumb over his nose? It's like I very just, newsies. It just it just cracked me up. I I just oh I don't know why it just amused me. And you know you didn't hear nothing from me kind of thing. Like <laughs> perfection, perfection. Love Mako it. and Cora then run into equalist chi blockers who have taken Bolin and the other triple threats. And um, Cora's Cora then gets chi blocked for the first time. To not know mm-hmm. and she doesn't know what it is. So obviously, you know. With Tylee teaching the uh, Kyoshi Warriors how to chi block, and I'm sure there's other chi blockers out in the world, so now it's become a little bit more available as a skill set, it seems. Yeah, and this it's interesting too because uh, this the fact that chi blocking has also become very widespread apparently doesn't bother the like Legend of Korra retractors, but for some reason yeah, right? they do for lightning like. bending, which I would argue chi blocking seems to be much a much more specialized and rarer skill than like lightning bending. I would say that I I'm confident I in saying I, that. Well it's something that's been like taught. You know, it's something that definitely needs to be taught. It's not like bending where like some of it is yeah. you know intrinsic. Yep. You know, yeah. this is definitely something you need to like know the chi pathways and things like that to make it happen. When it's it's so. also interesting considering like kind of like the hubris of benders to like not even think about like doing chi blocking or anything, because like why why would I need that? Right. So it kind of yeah. like makes sense that it's a rarer skill in this world, a world made well, for benders, you know? Yeah. And also like benders, they don't really do a lot. Like, I mean, maybe and there's some exceptions, but most of the time, like benders don't do a lot of close hand to hand stuff. 
Mm-mm. And that's where they're at a disadvantage against chi blockers because you see Korra, like, you know, go up against the chi blocker who gets in close and manages to yeah. mobilize her, essentially. Yeah, but you think people like um, like the Fire Nation or, or something would, like, know just, like, basic chi blocking just in the in the event of an eclipse or something where you don't have your bending or something. Yeah, um, I guess. But... I don't know. Hmm. But this whole action scene is is really, really cool. Um, it's also where I think one of the instances, I don't think we got this in Avatar, but it's kind of like there's like some like 3D camera work going on or something like kind of rotating around um, the fighters. And it looks really, really freaking cool. And just like the backdrop job of like the steampunk city at night. Mm-hmm. It's just I just love the vibes of this season. I don't think we talked about that too much in uh, last week's episode, but I'm really, really digging just like the. The, the color palette, the aesthetic of it all. Yeah, I love it too. Um, I also want to quickly talk about uh, Cora's reaction to being chi blocked because, like, she starts panicking. Like, she's tried mm-hmm. to bend, she can't, and he immediately starts panicking. And Mako yeah. does, like, you know, explain to her, "Hey, it's gonna wear off in a little bit," but you know, I guess you can kind of call it foreshadowing, if you will, <laughs> for mm-hmm. future stuff. And we do get a, a bit of a glimpse into Cora's. Psyche that we get more into in the next episode uh, after this one. Yeah, she seems extremely panicked when this happens. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, and I just think it's also a really cool touch that, like, just the equalists, like, as a concept, like, their foot people would be chi blockers, you know, as, as like, because, like, you'd think, like, a movement like this that's against benders would probably be more, like, philosophically opposed, but they actually have, like, a militia of people that can fight benders if necessary, you know? So I think that's a a really interesting touch as well. Absolutely. So after spending a night in the park, they have their only lead as the equalist protester in the park. Uh, And after shaking them up a little bit, they managed to find a couple of flyers that make a map that leads them to some, this rally that's called the revelation, which not even the equalists know what the revelation is supposed to be. Hmm. So, Cora and Mako sneak into the rally in disguise, and hmm. we get our introduction to our villain. Uh, not just a you know a few quick lines at the end of an episode. Here he is, just fucking dramatic ass entrance, like with the stage <laughs> elevators and like the fog machines going off. I'm just imagining him in like a budgeting meeting. He's like, look, we gotta, <laughs> we gotta, we, we gotta invest in this. We gotta have the most dramatic entrance possible. We need to show people that we got something going on here like i'm just i'm just laughing at at the idea of it because not only like okay we have to figure out the venue we have to figure out security we have to figure out lighting and sound design but not only that they have to find like some poor like freelance artist in republic city who's like probably like losing 30 percent commission on fiverr to create these posters that also have a map on the back that also have to align to scale with the maps available in the city (laughs) Yeah, right. <laughs> like I'm like imagining just the the wide scale <laughs> like operation <laughs> that this is. It's so funny to me. But I you know, I was thinking, do you think that this is what this like revelation thing is what Amon was referring to when he said we have to accelerate our plans now that the avatar is in the city? Yeah, and then he immediately refers to Chorus and as he like, you know, talks about, you know, his incredibly tragic backstory. Um mm-hmm. Like, I think I think that was part of the the big plan is to intimidate the Avatar. Do you think he was betting that Korra would be there? 
Um, I'm going to gander that he would think that she would know about the Equalists at this point since arriving mm-hmm. in Republic City. And, you know, that might be one that she'd probably want to stop that anti-bending revolution from happening. So, yeah, I think he'd be gambling on her showing up. Like, kind of being like, oh, maybe she will. And if she, you know, if she doesn't show up, whatever, we still get more people to our side. But if she does show up, then this is a great warning to her, you know? I think it's not confirmed, but I I have to think that, well, I don't have to, but I like to think that Amon had this whole plan of luring Korra and Mako to the revelation by kidnapping Bolin because Bolin and Mako are like, you know, between civilian and celebrity. They're not like quite there, but people kind of know who they are, right? And I'm sure mm-hmm. Amon would keep tabs on all the, all the quote unquote famous benders in the city, you know? So maybe there might have been some like machinations, some chess movements here and there. Cause I think like, it was important to show, to have Korra be there to see this. And I think Amon kind of knew that. So I don't yeah. know. My headcanon is that he planned for her. It was a huge gamble, but I think he planned for her to be there. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, he introduces himself with his tragic-ass backstory that's definitely not fabricated, uh, that his family was all killed after standing up to a firebender. Like, Jesus Christ, he has, like, he's like the third person in this, like, the, these two episodes that introduced that their parents were killed by fucking firebenders. Like, y'all need to be more original. Like, like you can't yeah, just right? say, like, my parents were crushed by a boulder from an earthbender or something. Like, or, like, even getting caught in the crossfire between two benders. Like, that could have been, like, a really exactly. Interesting... Like, <laughs> it's... But no, they're just like, no, it's this so funny. Is... Blame on the firebenders. Let's do it. Well, actually, I don't think Asami said that it was a firebender that killed her mother in the next episode, but I think that Hiroshi says that in I, uh, a later yeah. episode that she was killed by a firebender. But still, dead yeah. parents. <laughs> and Mako's parents were killed by a firebender, weren't they? Yes, he did say that. He did say okay. that they were cut down right in front of me by a firebender, and then that's two in one episode, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a lot. <laughs> a little, a little much, guys. Um. And he then, you know, he's proceeds to shit all over bending and be like, bending has been the cause of every war in every era. Uh, false. <laughs> false. <laughs> like, didn't, like, the, the story of the two lovers, like, happen, like, bef- pre-earthbending, technically? Like, you know, it's like, it was the, the two villages hated each other. And also, we see the Great Divide. There's no bending involved. They just hate each other. <laughs> as far as I know. Mm. Also, people just hate each other, guys. Sometimes that just ca- that causes war. And you know what? If bending might have been a weapon used in it, but it's not the cause of it. Yeah, definitely not the the cause. Uh, I would say like it's definitely given advantages to people in those wars for sure. Yeah, especially like the Susan's Comet and everything. Um, I don't know. I mean, it it's it's kind of hard to take like I'm on it because it's it's just all fear mongering. It's it's yeah, very much for sure. like manipul manipulative painting bending. I still wanted I still way. wanted to pull the whole I still wanted the whole like actually well actually <laughs> I had yeah. to be that guy. I I'm yeah. not sorry. Um so he then says that the spirits have spoken to him and says that Avatar Korra and the Avatars failed humanity and that, you know. They've given him the ability to take someone's bending away permanently. Like, he has a pause. Dramatic. He rehearsed this in front of a mirror. He definitely did. <laughs> yeah, but also shout out to the uh, the voice actor, because 
They're yeah, right? amazing. Like the delivery on pretty much anything Amon says this season is like really great. He just, like Amon's voice just sends like chills down my spine. And like also, um, when he like event, you know, eventually when he gets unmasked, like you know, it's like once the face paints off and the face scar and all that shit's gone. Like when he's mm-hmm. like, you know, it just seems wrong without without his mask on. You know, in the few scenes um, he is without the mask. Yeah, if I've looked up the right person, um, the voice actor is Steve Bloom. And he's a pretty known, uh, pretty well-known voice actor. He's done stuff for anime, film, animation. Um, he has a credit here for SpongeBob SquarePants, and the role was SpongeBob Squeaky Voice. <laughs> okay. Amazing. He was in Grim Adventures <laughs> of Billy and Mandy, Spectacular Spider-Man, um, Batman Brave of the Bold. So yeah, he's he's gotten around. For sure. But he has apparently also played other roles in Legend of Korra. So he's listed for Amon, but also for Baraz. Don't know. Crazy Yao. Hunter number two. Red Lotus Guard number one. Spirit Frog. Additional voices. So he he <laughs> sticks around. Just for different roles. Kind of yeah. like the Bradley Baker having a role as Tarlock, yeah. but also being additional voices in the show. Yeah. Cool. I love I love talking about like voice actors and like their their work you know before and after core you know the stuff that we're talking about right now like I don't know I just especially ones that have a very very diverse range of of voices I think it's absolutely shout out to voice actors they're fantastic um am I so he then decides to demonstrate his scary ass ability to take away someone's bending with lightning bolt Zolt this leader i think he's leader of triple threats or one of the Mm. other um you know groups um after like he says like oh yeah i'll you know in the spirit of like being fair like i'll let you have fight for the chance to keep your bending and so lightning bolt zolt decides like oh you made a big mistake with that buddy you know and like he starts like you know giving him everything he's got and amon's just evading everything you know Mm. casual stepping stepping aside and just eventually getting his thumb onto his forehead and takes his bending away. We see the lightning streak across the stage and watch it shrink down as the effect happens. I just think that the eye effect when they zoom in on someone's eyes, when he gets, they get like their bending taken away, just freaks me out every time. Yeah. And the pupils are like real small. Yeah. It it freaks me the fuck out. (laughs) It really freaks me out. But this is, this is cool. It's, it's a, apart from like the, the taking away the bending thing, um, it's cool seeing lightning bending used in in uh, a combat context because it, if mm-hmm. it happens, people have managed to to use it like in combat in a more uh, just a quicker way, and I think it's it's really cool how that's kind of evolved. But also, again, just the beautiful animation with the the fire bending and the lightning bending. I'm gonna shout it out every time. It just looks really cool but it's also i i love also too the way they've animated like amon in this situation because it does kind of look like the way he dodges everything he almost seems like otherworldly you know like on top of like the theater mask and everything like it it it's like everything about him just seems otherworldly and i and i also like mystery and the you know yeah like that just makes him one of the best villains in korra for sure yeah and and i like the little detail of of him being behind someone when he takes their bending instead of in front of them because i think they they didn't want to 
Right. They didn't want to draw a parallel to Aang in that way, but also it's kind of like a perversion of that. Absolutely. I guess. And well, also, if you notice, like when Aang takes someone's bending away, he has like a hand on their forehead and a hand on their chest. Um, Mm -hmm. He only has a hand on their forehead. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, it has something to do with the chakra that I just do not remember right now, and I'm sure I will find a post about it breaking down like a mountain taking bending away versus angs. Um, mm-hmm. so we will we will get we'll put a pin into that. We'll get back to it eventually. <laughs> yeah, I think we get a little bit of a explanation near the end of the season, so we'll we'll talk yeah. about it then. Yeah, we'll put a pin in that. Um, yeah, so he then starts going down the line and taking people's bending away, and Bolin is up next, and now they have to try to get him out of there before Amon takes his bending away. So they managed to make a distraction using the steam and the machines uh, above the rally, and they managed to escape with Bolin with his bending intact, thankfully. Um, but it was kind of a harrowing experience for everyone, but especially for Korra, even if she won't mm. admit it right away. Um, so Korra then tells Tenzin what they saw, and he's pretty shook by this too. So, and that ends this episode. So, yeah. Have we got any additional thoughts we haven't already highlighted on this particular episode? Uh, do you remember your um initial reaction to seeing him take someone's bending away for the first time? Because uh, I don't. I, <laughs> excuse the, wait, I always try to see if we can remember that because it's a pretty big moment in the series. But I remember. So it's funny that my brother Rob actually watched Legend of Korra before he watched Avatar, and I was mad at him for it, but he did tell me about, oh, this is guy who can take people's bending away. And I was mm. just like, wow, that's really scary. But seeing it for the first time and like, you know, it, it did freak me out. The the eye thing especially just scares the crap out of me every time. It's just it's just too unnerving and freaky, and that will always live in my head, it seems. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but I think that he's a very I, I mean, again, I know a lot of people who praise Korra talk about how good the villains are, and it's absolutely true, but this is just, like, he's not, I mean, like, we've only, we had, like, obviously, like, the main villain in the last season was Ozai with, you know, in the last season, the last show was Ozai with, like, secondary antagonists and things like that under that, but we haven't had someone like Amon before, you know, with, like, just, again, like, you described, like, that otherworldly thing, like, the mystery behind him, the, mm-hmm. you know... This is a huge shakeup for the universe that this show takes place in, you know, like, yeah. So I, I just want to point out he's, I think, my favorite Korra villain right now. Um, mm-hmm. but that could change as we watch the show again. Uh, I also wanted to just point out some of my favorite funny moments, uh, in this episode of like Bolin's like being held by the scruff of his neck and Naga's mouth. He's like, I want to be on your back. <laughs> <laughs> I love that I don't part. Know. I just love just small things that just make me laugh like that. Um, but yeah. before we move on to the next episode, I also wanted to kind of highlight um, how they approach Korra's like naivete. I hope that's the right mm-hmm. way of putting the word naive. Um, mm-hmm. But like, you know, when she points out like, I've always had people taking care of me and then kind of realizes, oh, it might not have been the right way to word that. Or, you know, um, and she also like when Mako reveals that he and Bolin used to work for the triple threats, she's like, what, are you some kind of criminal? Like immediately like, she doesn't understand the way the world works. So she immediately kind of turns on Mako for a hot second. He's like, look, we were kids, like we just ran numbers for them. Like we just, yeah, we were starving orphan kids. We couldn't really do much. And she Mm -hmm. immediately, like, as soon as she realizes the reality of the situation, she kind of like softens and she learned something new that day about people. Um, But she immediately apologizes and then validates how it was and says that must've been really hard. So I think that's, 
something to like a her naivete, but also shows her compassion too. Yeah, you and know? her empathy as well. She's not lacking empathy. She just might have a more like simpler understanding of like morality, I guess. And mm-hmm. I think that's interesting because while this is a smaller movement, it does happen quite a few times in this season where she realizes that it's not as simple as good and evil. Like it happens with Tano, it happens with Tarlock, and it ultimately happens with Amon when she learns about their backstories right so it's so she does have that empathy there right but i think the season also just challenges her idea on ideas on morality and i think the other that's the entire also, show that's the, the yeah, entire show is one that. big morality question i mean as yeah. like toth later says that like you know each of the people you faced have different you know values and some of them had good points but they went too far with it you know so that's kind yeah. of the whole point of the the show is to learn from others and you yeah know. and i and i i quite i quite like that because there wasn't anything of the sort when it comes to like ozai in the original series right there isn't yeah. a whole lot of room for nuance there right um exactly it's but of course mustache. i mean we like we like our mustache twirling villains don't get us wrong yeah uh, but it's nice to have something different with Korra. yeah yeah i'm not so. i'm not saying that was completely absent from avatar i'm just saying like when it comes to like ozai mm-hmm. or something it wasn't there, yeah. so it's interesting to see it here with like a main villain and not like a Jet or a Zuko or anything, or even Azula. Yeah, you know. So awesome. Well, that ends our recap for episode one hundred and three. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back with episode one hundred and four, Voice in the Night. We'll see you then. Awesome. Hey everyone, Kayla here. Before we get into the second half of the episode, we just wanted to remind everyone to check and make sure you're following the Avatar Hour podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice. And if that platform has a rating system, please consider it leaving us a review and maybe some feedback. With subscribers and reviews, it allows us to reach future listeners and to help the podcast grow in the long run. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. And we're back. Let's go into 104 Voice in the Night. Um, so in a classic combination of nightmares, loneliness, and denial, Korra is still mentally struggling after witnessing Amon demonstrate his ability to remove a person's bending. Um, the episode opens with a nightmare sequence, um, which typically I like roll my eyes at, but it's it seems earned and, and you know, interesting well, uh, on a character level the, in this the, instance. The theme of the episode, too. It definitely opens yeah. the episode with like the, the thesis of the episode, so to speak you know mm-hmm. yeah so it makes sense it definitely earned yeah and i think it's it's a really interesting glimpse into like cora's psyche uh just throughout this episode because there is a lot going on just like the you know everyone's got different motivations everyone going on but it, there's a, a stream there's a uh a, a, a line that you can follow through this episode that that you know forces you to think about how Korra is like feeling in every single moment you know, and it's it is that fear of Amon that drives a lot of her decisions in this episode, um, which we will Absolutely. get to. But but what did you what did you think of this, uh, Kayla? It almost feels like a um like a little taste of like that Cora alone sort of focus on her mental. Yeah, state. that's a good point. Um, I just wanted to point out that like Amon in the dream tells her that like you want to take your bending away, you will be nothing. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's first introduced in the series as this really talented bender from a really young age. And, you know, because she was discovered so early on as the Avatar and like literally her first line in the series as a little girl is, I'm the Avatar, you got to deal with it. 
Um, you know, so she's kind of like she's had that time through her development, you know, growing up as a kid to where she is now. She's had that time to make the avatar being the avatar into a huge part of her identity and her self-worth, which we've discussed before as her part of her character. Um, but like this nightmare is like the natural next step after her initial panic after she was chi blocked, after witnessing bent someone's bending being taken away. It's just a very natural continuation of her fear and, you know her growth as a character as she moves along in the series. It's a good starting point. Yeah, for sure. And I, I almost kind of liken it to um, like child actors or just people who have been doing something like from a very early age and they stop doing that thing and then they have a hard time trying to figure out, okay, what's what do I do now? What's my purpose? What this are. thing has been like my life from the very beginning like who even am i as a person right and mm -hmm. i think it's it's Absolutely. a little similar here like i think bending has been a, a major part of her life and and i think i i like the implication as well of like bending is much more than just an ability to benders it is just like a part of who they are um it informs their culture it informs their just uh, mental health you know so i i mean, I, I like this more like mental uh psychological take on bending versus just like you know it's a punchy punchy sort of thing you know just yeah, used for exactly. combat yeah it's, it's a continuation of what we've seen in the previous series too yeah um so in the next scene we're introduced to councilman tarlock who is petitioning the council to create a task force to eradicate the equalists and all the while, she uh, he's pressuring Cora to join. So initially, he shows up at Tenzin's house unannounced, and he's like, you know, Airbenders wouldn't, an Airbender doesn't turn away a hungry guest, whatever. Um, and I love, I think it's Iki who's like, you smell weird, or like, why do you smell why like do you a have woman or something like that? Why do you smell like a lady? <laughs> yeah, you're weird. <laughs> that's Iki. Yeah, that's Iki. Janora wouldn't then, say something like that. Mila probably. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and Tarlock's like, Tarlock's like, why aren't you precocious? <laughs> Um, like searching for the right words. <laughs> yeah, and 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 he asked Cora at the dinner table. You know, I would love for you to be on this task force, but Cora's like, "Sorry, I can't." And I'm always, I'm always really interested in her reaction in this because you'd think like if this was like day one when she was in Republic, she'd be like, "Oh my god, absolutely, yes, let's do it." But yeah. she's been, she's been, I think a little uh, humbled by her airbending training because we do see she's making yeah. some progress. You know, she's getting through the yeah. gates just fine, you know. Um, so she is making progress and she says, I came here to train with Tenzin and I need to focus on that. And I think that's a really mature decision on, yeah. on her part. So. I mean, I remember being pretty gagged by this like the first time I saw it because, well, and so is Tenzin and Tarlock. Yeah. Everyone's kind of gagged by this decision, you know. But... I think it's a mature decision, but do you also think it's a it's a decision out of fear? I'm going to say fear is one of the motivators. Mm. I think especially with what she goes through in this episode and what she's learning in this episode, I think fear does have something to do with it for sure. And she covers up that fear as we see like after the press conference by putting forward her, you know, punchy punchy kind of, you know, yeah. attitude. Yeah. I'm not saying the thing about like I came here I need to focus on airbending training I don't think that's a lie I think she she genuinely believes that but I think there's yeah. something that she's not saying like you know what yes. I mean in that in which that she does eventually say yeah. yeah and also I just want to point out like he says like oh you'll get on the job experience you know and I just want to roll my eyes because uh, how many times 
Yeah, right. How many times have I heard that while doing internships? You know, like, ugh. Where's that? Where's that pay? Where's they'll that? They'll pay. We'll, we'll, we'll pay you an exposure. <laughs> oh my god! A task force mm. like this, where you could get your betting taken away, you better give me some hazard pay. <laughs> like, yeah, right. <laughs> god. Um. And I wonder. I wonder uh, where these. How is Tarlock recruiting this task force? Because it's not metal benders, right? It's, yeah. It seems to be like most mostly waterbenders. Well, I mean, I don't think the police are just metal benders. I think there's probably some other, you know, areas of the police where they're, I mean, you know, there'd be like waterbenders and earth. And, you know, like, I don't think the police are just metal benders. That's kind of limiting, don't you think? You know, if police, I mean, I know that like just paramedics like that, but like if police end up being the first to respond to a scene, it kind of would be good to have like a waterbender to, you know, just know first aid and things like that. And like, you know, put out any fires and things like that. If there is one, you know, it would be really limiting to just have like one kind of bender to encompass a police force, you know? So... Oh, that's really interesting. Uh, Avatar Wiki says Republic City Police uh, is made up of a chief, detectives, regular officers, and an elite metal bending police team. Maybe um, they're like s- s- SWATs, I guess. I don't know. Uh, so, uh, well, so I don't know if the regular officers, I, I yeah, I, it's like the metal bending police team, like the SWAT team, and the regular officers are just like benders of all. I don't know. Hmm. I I always just I guess assumed that they were all metal benders, but now that I think about it, you're right. It doesn't. It seems very uh very limiting that to, for I them to think, just be metal benders. And also with like Tarlock being as high ranking as he is and with all of the connections he's able to pull from, I think that he definitely has like maybe even his own security that he could also yeah. pull from. And also just connections within his inner circles as a politician. He'd be able to find some people who would be pretty gung-ho about this. Yeah, I, I'm seeing another source here. I haven't heard of this. Legend of Avatar Terra Wiki. Mm. Uh, it says the police force of Republic City is split into two main denominations: the metal bending police and standard officers who do non-combative work. That's interesting. I don't know where yeah. they're getting that though. I don't see I any just, sources. Like, can we get can we get some more Republic City like content, please and thank you? Like, we, like yeah, I'm I'm very curious. Now. <laughs> I never yeah, right? <clears throat> I never even thought about it. Mm-hmm. Oh well. Well, if if you're oh, listening well. and you have any theories, let us know. Yeah, we love to hear from you. So we also meet another new character, Asami, and uh, mm-hmm. after running Mako over, uh, she uh-huh. they quickly hit it off, and before Mako knows it, he's got a dinner date. Uh, and uh, at this dinner date, um, she also happens to be the do- he's so jealous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And- <laughs> so um, <laughs> at this dinner date, uh, Mako mentions like the fact that they can't afford to you know compete in the championship and because she just happens to be to be the daughter of Hiroshi Sato she says that he will help them any up for the championship tournament and we do meet Hiroshi um and I love his line so I heard you dirt poor <laughs> it's <laughs> like such a classic millionaire attitude Hiroshi um, Sato is actually voiced by Daniel Day Kim who's playing Fire Lord Oisai in the next right. live action Avatar. So it's not the first time he's appeared in the Avatar universe. That's right. And he does a great job as well. I think I've said this on the show before, and I did actually just film a TikTok before doing this episode. Uh, but this I I I've, like at this point when I watched Korra for the first time, I did not like I was still questioning my sexuality, like mm-hmm. whether I was like bi or a lesbian or something. 
and uh, Asami Shiza pulls off her helmet, flips her hair, and I'm like, I never understood why people had animated character crushes until <laughs> it's Asami. And then I'm like, oh, there we go. <laughs> and it's only gotten worse from there about animated character crushes. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Um, I did want to point out that, you know, I every single reaction video or reaction channel that has watched Legend of Korra, every single time an Asami is introduced, everyone immediately does not trust her and thinks that she's an undercover equalist because it's funny to consider like, oh my God, I'm sorry for running you over. Let's go have dinner. You know, it does seem like a little what? forward, a little, a little forward. And then suddenly like, oh, I'm buying you clothes. Oh, you could play in the championship. Like, absolutely. I can see where people get that. And she actually was supposed to be an equalist spy uh, mm-hmm. before they changed her character. Like she was really originally supposed to be an undercover equalist spy. And I guess they left some of that stuff in there. Um, but, you know, as the, as the saying goes, she's not bad. She's just drawn that way. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I had to. I had to put that in there. Uh, but she actually was also inspired by a lot of old Hollywood actresses like Rita Hayworth. Actually, Rita Hayworth, she oh. has the same exact hairstyle as Rita Hayworth in that. Um, yeah. So, fun facts. Cool. The cool. stuff that the stuff that you find out, you know, while making a podcast, all sorts of information that's technically useless, but it's still cool to know. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, on the on the topic of her being an undercover equalist spy, I do think there there is a you're kind of meant to pick up on on that like is she i think the writing is intentional to be like maybe she's undercover maybe like you know because she does come out of nowhere like you can easily see how it's it could be planned for that to happen you know but i just i just think it was really interesting i do think however it's more of a twist that she ends up being a really kind compassionate person and not and i think i think that's that's what the writers realize yeah i think think the bigger bigger twist I think the bigger twist is that she isn't. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Super sweet person that's just like, yeah, I have a lot of money, but you know what? I'll do nice things for you with it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Asami, yeah. I love her. Not just because she's really pretty. <laughs> so uh, Tarlock throws a gala in Korra's honor, and he has paid off reporters to essentially manipulate Korra into joining this task force. So they show up, you know, it's all very ritzy. Everyone's dressed to the nines. Um, yep. Korra is is wary Jealous. about Maka and Asami. And yeah, they at one point she gets, you know, pulled uh, up to the stairs by Tarlock. And all these reporters start asking all Warming. these questions. Like, are you going to do anything about this? What do you think Avatar Aang would have done? And I want to ask, what do you think Aang would have done in this situation, not just the Amon situation, but like in this moment, like being asked moment. all these questions by these reporters. Um, I think you'd have a hard time even like, you know, I think that like you might have seen through Tarlock a little bit, maybe, especially as he got as he had gotten older. Like if this was like, you know, that kind of thing. Um, But I also think that he probably would have struggled with the reporters as well because they were kind of mm-hmm. coming in hot with those questions. And, you know, we kind of see that, like, you know, kind of like in the... Uh, I'm thinking about the Storm episode when he's dealing with, like, people having a hard time with him because of his decision to run away and stuff like that. Like, him kind of dealing with that kind of pressure from that. Mm-hmm. I think that he would have dealt with some guilt involving, uh, you know those kind of questions directed at him. And I think that he might've given it into that guilt if he were 
younger, you know? Yeah, I think so too. I I don't think Aang would have picked up on it, honestly. I think Korra... I said maybe. That's why I'm yeah. like, you know, but I, again, we don't know. <laughs> I think I think Aang has somewhat... I mean, he's 12, literally, but I think he, at that point, it, it maybe in the series, like, he has sort of, like, a more... I guess, like, naive uh, understanding of, of, like, authority figures and stuff like that. Whereas Korra, mm-hmm. I feel like... One, because Tarlock is a politician, he's a guy, it seems very, a little predatory. Like, he's borderline grooming Korra in this episode. Yeah, like, buying her all these gifts, like, the car, like, it's it's really weird. Um, but I, I I pulled up the transcript because I wanted to, to uh, get all the questions from the reporters. So the first one is, Avatar Korra, you witnessed Amon take away people's bending firsthand. How serious a threat does he pose to the innocent citizens of Republic City? And she says, I think he presents a real problem, but she's immediately cut off. Uh, why haven't you refused? Why have you refused to join Tarlock's task force as the Avatar? Shouldn't you be going after Amon? Why are you backing away from this fight? You promised to serve this city. Do you think pro bending is more important? How do you think Avatar Aang would have handled this? So it's a lot of like, it's not even like inquisitive questions. It's like, oh, so you just think like nothing matters? Like you, yeah, TMZ. you're just not going to do anything? Like if this universe's version of TMZ. Yeah, it li- literally. And I, I, as much as it is distressing for Cora, I think it's interesting to see her kind of put in a corner to see what she does because she ultimately has to get over the sphere of Amon. It it shouldn't be in this way, like no. it should be more of on her own terms. But she is also grappling with just the duty of being an Avatar, right? An Avatar in a world where there's more media coverage yeah, of what she does exactly exactly yeah so i i also don't she, think also Aang... been, she, hasn't, she hasn't been media briefed she hasn't had a public relations meeting <laughs> exactly exactly i don't i don't think ang would have fared in this situation quite well but i also don't think he would have been in this situation to begin with because i think he would he probably would have just said yes to to yeah I, I just think he oh he's like oh i can help people yeah absolutely let's do the task force um, yeah, I I would say even after you know seeing Amon take away bending, I don't know. I just I think it's like the Airbender in him just like wanting to help. I'm not saying Cora doesn't want to help, but no. I think she's a little bit more uh, practical when it comes to something like that versus Aang, mm-hmm. who's just like yeah, duty. He's afraid of doing the wrong thing, so he just says yes to everything. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, after participating in a a successful raid of the Equalists with Tarlock, um, she challenges Amon to a midnight duel on Air Temple Island. Um, And Tenzin's like, this is insane. Like, you can't do this. And apparently, like, even Tarlock's like, I tried to talk her out of it, but I don't think he's, I think he wants this to happen. And this sort of reminds me of when Katara challenged Paku. Uh, it's not the same situation, but it just reminded yeah. me of that. I thought it was worth no, I like uh, putting up. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, so she's waiting. Nothing really happens. And she's like, you know, you know, who's afraid now, basically. And then she uh, is dragged into the temple in the dark. And she firebends in this really cool shot. And, like, you can see, like, the goggles of the Eclipse. I mean, they're real, like, scary. scary. They almost look like bugs. I was going to say, like, the insect looking, like, or, like, the, you know, whenever you're in the cartoons with, like, the dark eyes in the forest, when they get get deeper into the dark forest, you know? Yeah. Um, It Um, it is cool with the lighting of, like, the flashes as, like, the equalists, like, you know, get closer and take her, like, oh, 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, Amon shows up and tells her that their showdown, while inevitable, is premature. And he even says, like, it would make sense uh, to take away your bending, but you would just become a martyr for the movement, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. that also just kind of applies when you do end up taking her bending. Like, it's not... I think that this fight with the Equalists is... Just as, as just as much of a political one as is a punchy one. Um, mm. It definitely involves a lot of changing the minds and hearts of people. Then I mean, yeah. and I'm not saying that like the f- combat side of things doesn't exist, but obviously they have fighters. They have trained people to be fighters against vendors. But I think that this is also important on the political side of things to you know kind of show people that vendors are dangerous and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think he's. Especially with what happens later with Tarlock and like, you know, rounding up non-benders and things like that. And like Cora playing a, you know, a role with like, she did she try try to stop him, but you know, like, I don't know. I just feel like this is, it's, if he's not just fighting her, right? he's also like dealing with the politic, you know, political and social side of this fight as well. Oh, absolutely. And, and even Tarlock's decision to create a task force is, Honestly, a very political situation in that, like, we're not going to address the problem. We're just going to address the problem that was created from the original problem. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm not, I, I wish I could think of a, a parallel to further illustrate my point, but it's like, you're not, what? Well, honestly, it's kind of like, you know, like Batman, right? There's that criticism of like, you know, fighting crime is not the way to fix Gotham. It's to fix Gotham first. This is kind yeah. of the same thing here. Like, these G blockers in a way are sort of political vigilantes. And I think that obviously they're they're They pose a danger to the public for sure. But mm-hmm. it, it, by focusing the task force on just like quelling the movement doesn't address the fact that there are inherent disparities in Republic city because of the bending non-bending divide, you know? So it's all very interesting, but I do agree. Amon yeah. is fighting much more than Cora definitely for sure mm-hmm. um so uh after she gets chi blocked uh she has Cora seems to have some like some visions of the past um and she sings she sees Tenzin running towards her and she thinks it's Aang um and this whole experience really shakes Cora and she eventually breaks down and admits how terrified she is of Amon and at the prospect of losing her bending um and it's it's a really it's a really, I think, tender moment between Tenzin and Korra. Um, Absolutely. And, and I think I really love the last line of this uh, episode, which is Tenzin saying, admitting your fears is the first and most difficult step in overcoming them. You know, mm-hmm. um, a little cliched, but it's it's true in her instance. You know, I, it, the first step was for her to realize that it's okay to be scared. Like there's, it's definitely valid in this instance, you know. She's never so, right to be afraid. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, that wraps up my recap. Do you have any last thoughts, Caleb, before we move on to Phantom Corner? Nothing I can think of right now. All right, cool. All let's right, well, it. we are, let's move on to our Phantom Corner. So, because Mako has a bit of a larger role in these two episodes, I wanted to bring up a Mako-centric post. So this is from Tumblr, as most of our posts are. Uh so one person said, I know the standard take is that Mako is Zuko 2.0. And I guess that is a thought because you, you might have been watching the second episode, Angsty Firebender. I get it. And it gets stuck even when it start, stops making sense. 
Now, I don't think Legend of Korra set out to have direct one-to-one replacements of the original gang, and this is the wrong way to watch the show, and why people hate it and Korra so much. She's not Aang number two. Right. But if we're playing the comparison game to Mako, the most similar he is to be a member of the gang, of the the original gang, is Katara, not Zuko. Mm -hmm. Um, So this person lists his similarities with Zuko is firebender, angsty, can be hot-headed, and that's it. His Zuko's arc and motivations have nothing to do with Mako's own arc and motivation. However, he is similar to Katara because he lost a parent at a lost parents at a young age and witnessed the death or saw the body of their parent. Keeps a memento of their parents, you know, the betrothal necklace, the scarf. Um, both of them ha- use their trauma as a way to relate to the other as other people. So Katara, you know, brings up her mother, and you know, in season one, Mako tells Asami and Korra about his scarf, used in a similar way as the betrothal necklace. Uh-huh. Um, you know, as a result of losing her parents, uh, you know, losing her parent in Katara's case, stepped up and she became more of a parental unit for, you know, the group mm. and. Mako has kind of stepped that up for he's the uh, you know he's has a much more dramatic shift than Katara because there is no Hakoda or Grand Grand he is Bolin's sole provider and caregiver yeah um yeah however the big difference between Katara and Mako is that she's much more emotionally open and trusting of others where he's more closed off and distrustful and you know people he doesn't know and that makes total sense um, I'm just gonna scroll through because it's a, a much longer post, but I don't want to take up all day. Um, they're both driven by the desire to help others. You know, Katara, I will never turn my back on people who need me. For Mako, he starts the series with like a small circle of people that he cares about, Bolin. And then, you know, starting in season one, his motivations for everything is connected to a desire to care for Bolin. It's, mm-hmm. you know, not always a trope that's aged well with him becoming a cop, but he, it shows that he cares for others and is willing to make sacrifice of himself to do that. And, you know, that's in 2012, that was the language of the time with being a police yeah. officer. Um, and he risks his life to stop Kuvira in the end. Um, they both have similar arcs, Katara and Mako. Both have a personal journey of learning to care for themselves and learning to care for yourself makes you better able to care for others. We see that in the development of Katara's waterbending. And, you know, for Amako, it's much more subtle of learning to tend to his own emotions. But by doing that, he can better meet the emotional needs of others. Um, you know, his own abil- inability to do so is the main culprit on his head for the love triangle square thing going on. But all parties played, played a role. And, you know, just kind of scooching on there. But uh, essentially, they have a lot. He's not the new Zuko. He's got more in common with Katara than Zuko. And I never thought of it that way. Like before. Yeah. So that was a really unique post. I never considered his uh parallels with Katara. I also just never saw him as a Zuko parallel. I feel like they're so different. Yeah. Like oh, absolutely different. I appreciate them saying this is the wrong way to watch the show. <laughs> Cause I'm like, Yeah, right. It is they're different the same way characters. I don't see, yeah, the same way that I don't see uh Korra as Aang 2 or Bolin as Sokka number two. I don't I don't see any of that. And it's, it's no, I don't know. It's, <laughs> and like, as like, as uh Fran pointed out in a previous episode that like, you know, Bolin is more in common with Ty Lee than he does with Sokka, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, so like, I think that it is interesting. I love, I mean, you know us, we love foils and parallels and things like mm-hmm. that, but do a little bit more thinking before you start comparing people to, you know, their supposed counterparts in the series previously. Yeah, yeah, I I guess that's just like I don't know. I guess that's a normal 
uh, connection people try to make when there's like either like a prequel series or a, a sequel, sequel series, series of like, you know, how people like try to compare um, like Ray, Finn and Poe to Luke Han and Leia, Leia like that Luke, sort of thing. Yeah. So I guess it's it's not unseen, but it, to me, it's they're so different from it's worse the original gang. It just of, doesn't even cross yeah. my mind. Absolutely, but I really appreciate the person. I think it's the person on Tumblr is the av- is Avatar State Eight. Uh, so thank you for writing that on Tumblr and expanding. You know, bringing up something that I never even thought to consider before. So that was a really cool uh, post. So I'm really glad I found it today. Literally yeah. like 20 minutes before we got started. So that's how that's how we roll here on the Avatar Hour. Yeah. Uh, so you ready to move on to our recommendations for this week? Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm going to recommend The Ultimatum on Netflix. Now listen, I Mm. am not going to say that I love trashy reality TV, but I think it's a lie. Because I, I, Chris and Sophia, my sister, started watching this, and I kind of rolled my eyes on it because the premise is batshit insane. But... I got sucked in and I refuse to apologize for it. Uh, (laughs) Basically the, yeah, basically the premise of this is there, a couple goes into this situation. One of them wants to get married. The other is not so sure. And they get all the, all these couples, the couples, they have that exact same, you know, situation. They put them in this, like, I guess hotel or something. I don't know. And they basically, swap partners to see if they actually really want to get married to that person or if they want to start a new relationship and i know the premise sounds really weird and problematic but i i just i got sucked (laughs) in i don't know what it is and like yeah there's a lot of if you're gay this is there's a lot of eye rolly moments here because it's of course it's all straight people they're all conventionally attractive they're all skinny whatever um but girl is this is just classic original a1 t and drama it's just i can't explain it i just got sucked in so you know if what? you're Sometimes looking for you some to turn your brain off yeah right like you know you if, just if get you're... caught up in other people's shit <laughs> exactly if if you're looking just for some trashy reality tv i i just go 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 watch this if you like love is blind or too hot to handle it's it's i think it's an offshoot of love is blind i think um so if you love those shows you're gonna love this one so yeah <laughs> Amazing. Well, mine is not a show this week, but a book. I'm getting back into reading. Uh, let's see how long this lasts. Uh, but I did just blow like $60 at Barnes & Noble last week, which I am very Love excited that. about. Uh, I got myself three books. I'm almost done this one. Uh, it's Queen's Hope by E.K. Johnston, which is the third in the Padme trilogy. So yes, I mm. am I am a Padme Amidala fan. I just do. I love her to pieces. And even though I absolutely hate the writing that they've done for her, I just love her character so much. So I will not apologize for that either because I am also a prequel fan. I just love them. I will not apologize for that. I'm taking a leaf out of your book today, Andre. Exactly. <laughs> period. <laughs> um, but the Padme books, uh, Queen's Shadow, Queen's Peril, and Queen's Hope are all fantastic. Um, really getting into more into Padme's psyche and like, you know, kind of, it covers the time between um, episodes one and two and then uh, mm-hmm. two and three. Uh, yep. Just, you know, in a different way than like, say, the Clone Wars did. It gives her the spotlight. It gives her the chance to, you know, show who she is outside of her relationship with Anakin. And mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Also, it's awesome. quite queer, actually. They have someone who uses oh. neo-pronouns in the 
third book in Queen's Hopes or someone who's non-binary, I believe, in whatever this, in oh. what Star Wars relations. I, I almost use non-binary because it's the best way I can describe it, but they use neo-pronouns, mm. which is super cool. There's queer characters, mm. side, there's queer side characters as well. So just wanted to point that out. But yeah, so yeah. I highly recommend the entire trilogy by E.K. Johnston. Uh, she does a fantastic job. And she also wrote the Ahsoka book, which is also really good. So awesome. Star Wars fans, go check it out. Cool. Well, if you'd like to keep up to date on what's next for the podcast, you are available on TikTok at the Avatar Hour Pod. On Facebook and Instagram, you're at the Avatar Hour Podcast. And on Twitter, we are at Avatar Hour. And like I say at every episode, we are always looking for more entries for our fandom corner so we don't have to keep pulling from Tumblr. I love Tumblr, don't get me wrong. But if you have anything that you'd like to share, whether it's, you know, memes or headcanons that you have, uh, just send it our way through our DMs on the social media platforms that we just listed. And you can email us at theavatarhourpodcast at gmail.com. And if you want some more Avatar Hour in your life, then consider signing up for our Patreon. For as little as $1 a month or up to $5 a month, you can access our show notes, ad-free editions of our episodes, Zoom recordings, and much more. If you sign up for our $5 Air Acolyte level, you also gain access to our flagship benefit, the Avatar After Hour. And our next installment will actually be covering some of our expectations for the Dawn of Yang Chen. So if you uh, want to know what those are and get into it with us... Um, definitely sign up uh, if you can at patreon.com slash the avatar hour podcast um, but yeah that's it for us this week we will be back next week with more Legend of Korra but until then my name is Andre and I'm Kayla.